All right, we're going to make a start. If you've got a Bible, could you grab it, please? And could you go to Revelation chapter 21? Revelation chapter 21, right at the end of your Bible. We've um, been uh, going through our Christmas series. A couple of weeks back, uh, Matt started us. And we've been looking at Jesus being Christmas number one. And Matt looked particularly at Jesus being Christmas number one in the past. Jesus always being number one. Always being number one. Even before everything began, Jesus was the number one. Many looked um, on our carol service last week at Jesus being the number one during the Christmas story that he came. And all about him being the number one and being number one in our life. And what I want to do is finish off the story kind of looking at the end. Looking forward and that Jesus will always be the Christmas number one. And what we've got here... Um, at the end of Revelation is a kind of a snapshot. And the best thing I can liken it to is um, like a trailer for a movie. I don't know if you're a movie fan. I am a movie fan. I love movies. I love watching them. And when they're, before a movie comes out, they put out a trailer, a short kind of couple of minutes to whet your appetite, to try and get you interested in the film, that you watch the trailer and you think, do you know what? I'm going to go watch that film because the trailer was so epic. It caught me. I like the accent. I like what was going on in there. And what's the big film that's out right now? Star Wars. Now, I haven't yet to see it. I'm just going to get that out there. I haven't seen it. I've seen the trailers. All right? And so I just want to be up front that I've seen the trailers. I haven't seen the movies. And so the message on the screen there is incredibly relevant for all of you right now. Okay? I'm just, just going to put that out there. I haven't seen it, but I've watched the, the, the trailers. The Force Awakens, Star Wars number seven. Seven is, is out, and it's a mega success already, and it's only been out like a day or something, and it's broken a zillion pounds and broken all the box office records, and everyone's seeing it, everyone's saying it's, it's truly epic. And so, for us, what I want us to look at today is a trailer, the Bible's version of the trailer. It's a snapshot of something good. It's something that's designed to whet your appetite. If you've seen the Star Wars trailers, even if you're, just, if you're human, you're thinking, I've got to watch that film. That looks just so epic. There's you know, Han Solo's back, and Chewie's back, and Luke Skywalker. And, hey! It's all amazing. But what I'm going to talk to you today is even better than that. So we're going to be looking at the future. And we're going to be looking particularly at heaven. And Jesus being number one in heaven. And when you think about heaven as a Christian, you can get all sorts of kind of views going around in your head that we conflict with how the world views heaven and how the world tells us heaven. And I don't know what your view of heaven's like or how you've thought of it over the years. Have you thought about chubby babies in nappies? That's often an angelic image, which doesn't sound angelic at all. I've had two chubby babies in nappies. And as much as I loved them, there was nothing heavenly really about that experience. I'm just saying, there's lots of images of harps and clouds, and kind of, you know, choral music. And actually, I've met some Christians who are under the impression that heaven might actually be a bit dull. Um, when they sort of see this, I'm thinking, well, actually, that's not what the Bible says about it. And what the Bible's going to say about it is much more exciting, much more interesting. And what we're going to look at today is a section when a man named John, who was a friend of Jesus, one of his followers, got given a vision, a sneak peek to the future the, the word revelation, which is the title of the book it's from, literally means unveiling. And John was given a glimpse of something that was normally covered. You couldn't see it because it's in the future. It's something beyond this world. And he's saying, John, uh, Jesus came to John and said, I will give you something to look at. I will reveal something to you. That's awesome. And John saw it and wrote it down for us so that many years later, later we can see it. Now, one of the difficulties as we approach this passage is that John was seeing something that was so far beyond this world. It was kind of indescribable. 
but he's trying to use our language to describe it. So we get sort of funny images in it. And what he saw was something real and something concrete and something that he could take hold of because this book was written to believers in the first century who were undergoing a lot of persecution, a lot of difficulty, a time of trial. And it was written to comfort them in their difficulty. And John wrote, this, wrote, this, wrote it all down and we get to the end of the, the book and it's this wonderful view of heaven and it's basically John's way of saying and God's way of saying through, John, saying through John, keep going in what you're doing. In the difficulty and the trials you face, keep going because what's at the end is so awesome and so amazing. And for us as believers, it's meant to serve the same purpose for us. Now, we don't necessarily say, face the same persecution that these first century believers had, but we face our own trials, we face our own difficulties, we face the things in life that come and knock us and try and knock us, um, knock us off course. We have uh, sickness in our own bodies, we find, face difficulties in relationship in our families, pressure in work and the like, and they come against us. We also find ourselves just coming up against the world and the pressures of the world and the things that would come and knock us off course with following Jesus. One of the great curses of kind of middle class England is busyness. We have busy, everything is busy, there's so much pressure when you've just got work and life and kids and job and just friends and family and it's trying to just get you so busy. It's the thing you say, if you say to most people, how are you doing? If you're English, you'll say fine, which is usually a lie, but then what you say, oh, how's life? Oh, busy. Everything's busy. It's just everything's cr- crashing in, trying to push us off course and trying to knock Jesus off the number one place in our life. And this is uh, something that John wrote down for us to remind us of where we're going and what's happening. And that Jesus has been number one, is number one, will be number one. And we're to keep going in that and not get rushed off course, not get pushed off course. So hopefully as we read this passage, as we look at it, what it means to us, we'll be reminded of what life's really about. What life's really about and where we're really going. So if you've got your Bible, you should have had enough time to find Revelation. Chapter 21, I'm going to read from verse 1. This is John speaking. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then he who seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of life, sorry, of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven um, last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried away in the spirits to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, 
like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. He had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and its width and its height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurements, which is also an angel's measurements. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the, seventh carnelian, sorry, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the, no, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb, and by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the city, the street of the city, also on either side the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding each fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Fantastic. All right, we're going to look at this image of heaven. I want you to think of it as three concentric circles. So three circles, each one getting into the middle. We're going to start the outside. Then we're going to move our way to the middle. The first one is the new creation. The new creation is the first thing. John sees there's going to be a new creation. What's this going to be like? Well, three things about this. First thing, everything's going to be new. He said everything was made new. John saw this adorning of God's eternal kingdom. We know when Jesus came, he kind of inaugurated it, but we know it's not fully come. John says, I've seen the end. I've seen what's going to happen. I've seen what it's going to look like. And everything is going to be made new. Everything is going to be reformed, redone. It's the old isn't going to be just be totally lost and gone. It's going to be made new, made incredible, made amazing. In Romans, Paul says that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption. And it will kind of become glorious. And we're going to get to, to be a part of that. And we're going to get to see it. He's going to live on a world without fault or defect. I don't know what you feel about the world now. Um, I don't know if you've read bucket lists of things like X number of places you need to go before you die. Ten places you need to see and visit. And they can be very exciting. We can go and look at places and we can go and enjoy them. But the reality is heaven's going to be better. I love going to places where it's kind of incredible and stunning beauty. 
But actually, heaven's going to be way better than that. Whatever the world has to offer, all the beautiful, wonderful, incredible places you can go in creation, all the things you can see, heaven will be better than all of that. And it's good to go and see them now. That's what God made them for. But actually, it's not essential because we know that what's coming is going to be better. There's going to be a new order in this new creation. He says in verse 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In this new heaven, there'll be no pain ever. Sickness will go. There will be no more sickness. There'll be no more tears. No pain, emotional or physical, ever, ever again. And there'll be no more death. That enemy will be destroyed once and for all. We know that because there is a sovereign God ruling over all of it. And he said, it is done. We read in that passage. It talks about God. He refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last letters of the, the Greek alphabet. I am kind of, I am it. I'm everything. And I have rule over everything. And I can do everything. And this new order, death will be gone. Pain will be gone. Suffering will be gone. All that will be gone. And I don't know about you, but um, I think that's a good thing. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to there being no more pain and no more tears. Because when I kind of interact with this world and I go through this world and I see suffering and I see pain and I see death, there's something in me that says, this isn't right. There's, this isn't how it should be. This is not how we were designed to live. This is not the way God made it. And the reality is it's not how God made it, but one day it's going to be gone forever. I am um, a few couple of months back, some of you may have noticed I had my head shaved. Um, we were raising money for a little boy uh, that we knew who had a brain tumor, and it was for cancer research, and there's a bunch of us who did it, and we raised a bit of money. Um, two weeks ago, he died. And um, there was a funeral and, and so on. And I remember just through that whole process actually thinking, this isn't right. He was 11. I think this is, there's something wrong with this world where that happens, where death and pain and suffering comes. And this is the world we live in, this is the world we have to interact with, but actually one day it's not going to be like that. Because God says, I'm going to deal with that, I'm going to wrap that up, I'm going to push that away. There will be a new order in this new creation, and that we will never have to face that ever, ever again. In this new creation, there's going to be no more evil, or no more evil do, as it says. And that's good news. There'll be none who perpetrate evil, who perpetrate violence and, and prejudice and, and, and anger and pain amongst us. That will all be gone away. And that is great news. There'll be no one to spoil the new creation. Everything will be new. There'll be a new order. And all evil will be got out of it. This is fantastic news for us. Because we get to share in that. And that is good news for everyone. Who doesn't want to go to a place like that? That is great news to tell to our friends, our family. You can go and be in a place like that forever where you'll be free from all those things. And if you're not a believer here, I'd love to talk to you about that at the end. But if you are, you can just rejoice in the fact that it is going to be awesome, this new creation. Now, this new creation is going to be amazing, but it's still not the number one. So what's next? We've got a new creation, and in the middle of that new creation, there is a new city referred to as the New Jerusalem. I don't know what you feel about cities. We all live in one, so we can't be that anti them. But sometimes cities get a bad rap. 
for various things. This city is going to be incredible. The first thing is going to be big and beautiful. Who's been to Grand Central in town? Uh, a few of you. Tell you what, it's big and it's beautiful. I just, I'll tell you that. I've been there. I'm impressed, and I'm not usually impressed by that kind of thing. But we went there. It's impressive. It's, big, it's new made. Melanie and I had a day out a couple of um, weeks ago. My parents took the kids, and we had a day out. We went to Grand Central, and they went to the library. Who'd been to the library in Birmingham? Oh, that's pretty impressive. Oof. We went right at the top. There's a Shakespeare bit at the top, and you can see out over the city. All very nice out there. It's all incredible. But this city that you're going to live in is going to be big and beautiful. It, John had to be taken up to a mountain to see it. That says something. This is vast. Now, those distances I read out, they don't translate too well, but I found out the translation. Apparently, this city is about 1,367 miles across. That's pretty big, right? That's quite a big city. So it's going to be awesome. And it says it's described like a bride. Brides look good on their wedding day, don't they? Generally speaking, you go to a wedding and you see the bride and you think, man, they look good. They spent hours kind of getting ready robes and you know, dresses and veils and jewels and all that kind of stuff. They look fantastic. And it says this, this city is like a bride. It's that beautiful. And then it goes, John goes berserk in describing it with the, um, the jewels, which I've never heard of most of them, I'm just saying. But they're all these jewels and glass. People like bling. God is the king of bling. I just want to say that. Out loud. That's what it says here. He is the king of Blin. There's all these incredible jewels. It's going to be absolutely massive, this city, and it's going to be incredibly beautiful. You're going to go there, and all the time it'll be wow. The gates, it says a gate is like one pearl is a gate. That's incredible, isn't it? Massive. The glass is so pure, it's almost translucent. You can see through it, and all these other jewels. It's going to be brilliant. It's not going to be this smelly old city that we can often think about dirty in places. It's going to be awesome to look at. Plus, it's going to be full of people. Old Testament and New Testament believers, it describes. It says the 12 tribes, the sons of Israel, we saw that in Joseph, the 12 tribes of Israel, when we preached through Joseph, that's what was going to come out of there. So the Old Testament believers who had faith, people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his sons who had faith, they will be there as part of that, but also New Testament believers, because it mentions the 12 apostles of the Lamb, the 12 disciples that we came across when we preached through John's gospel. They will be there. So it represents Old Testament believers and New Testament believers will be there. So we get to rub shoulders with some of these people. It's going to be awesome. So we've got a massive city that's incredibly big, incredibly big, full of people who love and serve Jesus. But not only that, it's going to be full of the presence of God. It says, it describes it. I don't know if you, what, you saw that. We came across it. It's, it's the same height. It is wide. Wide and height and depth. So basically, it's a cube, this city. And the reason that the imagery of the cube is because that was the dimensions of the Holy of Holies in the temple. In the tabernacle and the temple, the, the Holy of Holy bits, the most holy place where the presence of God dwells was a cube and its dimensions. And he's saying this city is, is a cube. And what it's basically saying is the presence of God will dwell there. It even makes it clear by saying there'll be no temple. You don't go to the presence of God. The presence of God is there amongst his people all the time. And so there will be, there'll be no need to go anywhere because you will be in the presence of God all the time. And it will be access that will be open constantly because there's going to be no gates. It's not going to shut you don't have to go in and out. You will be in the presence of God day and night. And there's no need for light there. Why? Because God's presence will be shining 
No need for sun, no need for a lamp. It is an awesome thing to behold. And it will be full of men and women who've made a commitment to follow Jesus, which is a great encouragement for us now. A great encouragement, because I don't know if you read some of the bits in your Bible about like um, Matthew 28, when it talks about the Great Commission going into all the world and making disciples of all nations. Here's the good news when you read something like that. That commission will be fulfilled. That commission will be fulfilled. There's no doubt that what God has said when he came to earth, man saying, you go, proclaim the gospel to all nations. People are going to get saved because at the end, we've got a city full of believers, of men and women. So as we stand here this side looking ahead, we can go about our task with great confidence because we know God is at work. We know that when we put on our carol service and we go out on the streets and we tell people about Jesus, that God is at work in people's lives. God is going to save people and he is going to keep saving people. So that city at the end is going to be full of men and women who know him and loved him and have been called according to his purpose. That is fantastic news for us. So it means for us as a church, we're not going to stop doing what we're doing. We're not going to stop proclaiming the gospel. We're not going to stop loving on people. We're not going to stop pointing people to Jesus and saying, this is what you should be building your life on. This is the number one. This is what you should be focusing on. This is what you should be living for. This should be driving your life and being the focus and purpose of your life because we know where we're going at the end and we know what it's going to be like. This is what it's all about. So we're going to keep doing that as a church and we're going to keep loving it. And the great thing is we know we're going to succeed. That's really good, isn't it? Given a task, knowing what's going to happen at the end is fantastic encouragement to keep going. God is with us. How could we possibly fail? Now, that city is amazing, but it's still not the number one. So let's move in again. The third circle is what's in the middle of the city. You've got a new creation. In the middle is a city. And what's in the middle of the city? A throne. And who sits on that throne? The number one. The Lamb of God. Jesus himself. And what John is describing is he's seen the new creation, he's seen a city in it, and in the middle of that city there is a throne with someone sitting on it, Jesus. And if you look at the imagery, what we've got is a return to the beginning. How did the story of the Bible begin? It began in a garden. And what was in the garden? There was man and there was the presence of God in perfect harmony in a garden. And then what happened then? It got broken because sin came in. Man rebelled. Everything went wrong. Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3. And then we have the remaining chapters of the Bible from sort of Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 of God sorting out the problem. Saying, I'm going to send someone to sort out the problem. I'm going to send someone. And he sent prophets to proclaim there's someone coming. Then Jesus came. This time of year we celebrate. Jesus came and he lived that perfect life and he died the death that we should have died. And then he rose from death victorious and called men and women to repentance and faith in him and to follow him. And we have that throughout history. We're living that now. And then we'll get to the end and we'll all be with him in a garden, in a city. And so there'll be that restoration of what was there at the beginning where, where man will be with God forever in perfect harmony and perfect relationship. And it won't just be Adam and Eve, it will be all God's people called together. And that is awesome to be looking forward to that, that actually that's going to be the number one for eternity. Jesus Christ always has been number one, he is number one, and he always will be number one. And we're seeing the outworking of it here as we kind of come to the end of this story. 
and God's people will stand with him and we'll have perfect relationship with him. We will know him, we'll have perfect joy, perfect peace and we will be with him in that garden forever. And all the old order of things will have passed away and we will have that incredible relationship. And that kind of just brings us back to here, to now, to us on this day. My question to you, our challenge today is, who is your number one? We know who is the number one. We've seen it in the past, we know it now, and we know what's going to happen in the future. But who is your number one? How are you living your life? When, um, when I asked Melanie to marry me, uh, it was... Let me get this right, get this right. 22nd of August, 1999... Um, I gave her a ring, okay, and the ring was like, like the guarantee. It says, uh, will you marry me? She said, yes, in six months' time, 22nd of April, year 2000, we'll get married. But I gave her the ring as kind of the, this is my, this is my kind of guarantee to you. This is my, this isn't it, but this is kind of where we're going. And then six months later, we were, ma- we were married. And we were kind of, then we, we got, to, everything came together, and we've been living our life together ever since. And I kind of, we say, if you imagine your life now, you're, at that, you're in that waiting period. In a sense, you became a Christian. You, you, you made your kind of decision to follow Jesus. And you're in that waiting period of actually, we haven't got to the end yet. It hasn't fully come about. We're still waiting for the wedding banquet to come. We're still waiting for the, the bridegroom Christ return for his bride, the church, to take us all together. We're still in that waiting period. And that waiting period can be hard. If you've ever been engaged and you're waiting for something, or even if you're waiting for anything, a new job to start or something to come out, that period can be really difficult. You come under pressure, you can doubt yourself, things can come in, think, is this worth waiting this long? Is it worth going through this kind of process? And I challenge you, as you're, we're in that waiting period now as believers. Jesus has saved us, he's called us to something, and the question is, are we going to keep going? Are we going to keep walking forward? Are we going to keep saying day by day, yes, Jesus is our number one, and we're going to keep walking that life? We're going to make the daily priority to say, actually, no, God, you're number one today. You're number one today and tomorrow until the very day you return, or I take my last breath, whichever comes first. But that's what's going to happen. Am I going to do that every day? And I want to just, to just take a quick inventory now. We've reached the end of 2015. We've got 2016 knocking on our door. Um, and we're gonna. When you get to that point, everyone likes to make new challenge, new, new decisions, and new kind of what should I do, new resolutions. But what are you going to do today? How has your 2015 been? You can make your kind of, you know, you tot it up on your head. Yeah, good, bad, indifferent. You know, some good, some different. How's Jesus been number one in your life over that time? Because the reality is, He is number one, and all we need to go through is actually act like that, because that that truth doesn't change. And so for you, what, what's your 2015 been like? Good, bad things, things you need to sort out now. I'll have a little moment in the middle. You might think, God, I just, I just need to put that down. Maybe say sorry for that, get that right. Just deal with that. And as we look forward to what's left of 2015 now, 10 or so days left, and then on to 2016, what are you going to do? Who's going to be your number one? How are you going to live your life according to it? Are you going to make that sort of commitment to yourself? God, you are number one, and I want to live according to you. And I'm not talking about striving to try and earn something. You don't have to earn anything. God's love is already for you and his favor is on you. We just need to act according to it. 
We've been looking at this in the Freedom in Christ course. We act according to what is the truth. And if you're a believer here, God has, God has done something in your life. And as are we going to live accordingly to it? Because I think it's fantastic what God has called us to. And for me, this is the motivator. All the things we've seen that he's always been number one. He's ruling over our life. He's got our life in his hands. Whatever you know, comes in the future, God is over all things. So maybe you want to just stand up. Just stand up. Let's just do a little bit of business with God before we end this year together. <coughs> Maybe you want to just close your eyes, whatever you find most helpful to focus on Jesus at this point. And I just want you to reflect back over the last 12 months in your life. What's happened, what's gone on, good things, bad things. And the first thing I want you to do is just to proclaim in your own heart that Jesus was number one over all of it. Jesus was number one over all of it, regardless of what happened. Jesus is number one. And for some of you, you might have made a commitment this year. You might have actually had that moment where actually, yes, I recognize this, and I want to respond to that. Many of us, we've been doing it for years. But whatever's gone in your life, Jesus has been number one over it. And it's good just to recognize and proclaim that. The good times are tough times. The good times is kind of obvious. In the tough times, we have to look hard have to kind of trust that he's holding us, he's walking through us, he's, he's keeping us safe this time. And as we kind of look to now, let's proclaim over our life today, I don't know what's going on in your life even today, that Jesus is number one over that. Jesus is number one, over, number one in my life today, in my work situation, my relationships, my health, my, my kind of finances, whatever's going on in your life, Jesus is number one in all those things. And as we look forward to the new year, what's coming, what's going um, on in 2016. We want to proclaim today that Jesus is number one. God has good plans for you. God wants to kind of bless you and grow you in him. And sometimes we use his tough situations to help us do that. But God is all over us and he wants those things. And I'm just going to pray. And I'm just uh, if there are things you know you need to sort of sort out in your own heart, actually, God, I need to change my attitude on that. I need to do that. Maybe you want to do that. If you know there are things God's prompting you on, actually you need to go and sort some stuff out or you want to start getting some stuff in place, maybe you need to just talk to him about that now. And as we look forward to 2015, I don't know what you're feeling, no, 2016, sorry. I don't know what your feelings are. You might be a bit of trepidation. You might be a bit of excitement. God is still number one over all those things. Jesus is still number one, not just at Christmas, but for the rest of our lives. And I'm just going to pray for us as a church and individuals that we would recognize that and we would know that. And as we move forward over the next few days, that we would proclaim daily in our life, Jesus, you are number one. Jesus, you are number one. Maybe it's something you need to find right down on that bit of paper. Stick it by your bed or wherever you go on your, your dressing table mirror. Jesus, you are number one to remind yourselves daily. Lord God, I want to thank you since before time began, you were number one. 
over all things. You always have been number one. Lord, when you created the world, you were number one, Lord God, because everything was created through you, Lord. Throughout history, you have been ruling and reigning as number one. Lord God, when you came to earth as a, as a baby, you were still number one. Lord, as you lived in obscurity and grew, you were still number one. When you died on that cross, you were still number one. And then when you rose from death victorious, vindicated before heaven and earth, you were most definitely number one. Lord Jesus, and I thank you now that you rule and reign in power and authority as number one over us. Lord, I thank you the commission you've given us as your church to proclaim to the world that you are number one. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that is in each one of us who believes that helps us walk according to the fact that you are number one. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you point us constantly to Jesus as the number one. Lord God, you empower us for life. You empower us for godliness. You empower us to proclaim the truth and to just to love you. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, and I thank you as we take a little glimpse into the future about all that's to come on the new heaven and the new earth. Lord, we proclaim that you will always be number one. And there is a day coming for each of us where we will stand before you face to face and we will be with you forever. And there will be no more crying and there will be no more tears and there will be no more pain for the old order will have passed away and we will be new. As creation is made new, we ourselves will be made new, new bodies that are free from corruption. Lord Jesus, I thank you for that. I thank you for that wonderful truth. And we get to spend eternity with you on that new heaven and that new earth, exploring it and just enjoying your presence, Lord God. I thank you that day. Lord God, I ask that that vision is put in our hearts today that will motivate us, that will nourish us, feed us over the, the weeks and months that come. Lord, to remind us that you will always be number one. You are number one over our life. You are number one over this church. You are number one over the church throughout the earth, throughout the ages, Lord God. We love you. We proclaim you. And God's people said, amen, amen.